We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. And as we started in this series, what we discovered was that love has to be our motivation. We can't do mission out of a, a must or a should. There is something about the love of God. When we experience it for ourselves, that it compels us and it overflows from us. And we can then bring that to others. And we might then ask, well, what does that, what does that even look like? We want to suggest to you this morning that uh, giving the love of God to others primarily means coming into line with the mission that God has for the world. God is a missionary God. His mission is to restore our world, to bring light to dark places, to find all that is lost. God cares more about our world than we do. And God cares about more of our world than we do. See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they chose to eat the fruit, God proclaimed a curse on all creation, causing there to be brokenness in our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation, and our relationship with God. But he didn't give up on humanity. Isn't this good news this morning? That God didn't say, look, you guys have stuffed it up, you've messed it up, I'm giving up on you, I'm now going to choose the giraffes, or anything like that. He didn't give up on humanity, but he began the task of restoring his world. And he did that through partnering with someone. And this is what we always see in the biblical story, God finds people to carry on his mission. And he found someone named Abraham, called him Abraham, and he gave him a blessing. And he gave him the mission to continue this process. Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3. says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Christopher Wright calls this the first Great Commission. We're used to the Great Commission coming in Matthew 28. Well, that Great Commission sits underneath this one. God's mission is not just the individual salvation of a few people, but the redemption of all of God's creation. So he gave the mission to Abraham to restore the world by blessing all the world through him and his family. And this is what we see through Abraham pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah, Joseph's work in saving the world whilst in Egypt, and the calling of the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. And you can explore some more of that in our notes, devotional notes this week. They were to bring God to the world, and they were to become a model of who God was and his mission, his saving work. God's mission is now to apply the redemptive power of the cross of Christ to all the effects of sin and evil in the lives of people in our society and environment. God's mission that we are a part of is to bless the whole world, consistently making it more like heaven as we've been singing about today. Caring for creation is mission work. Helping someone with healing in their mental and emotional uh, uh, health is mission work. Being good citizens is mission work. Evaluating broken systems in our workplace and bringing them in line with heavenly values, that's mission work. Caring for people is mission work. If your definition of the gospel doesn't include space for these things, then it's incomplete. 
This is the mission of God, to take everything that was lost and to lovingly restore it to the way it was supposed to be, to put the world to rights. And one of the places that I want us to explore this uh, playing out is in the story of Jonah. Uh, Most of us know the story of Jonah, but I want us to explore a certain part of it here this morning. See, in the book of Jonah, we're introduced to the prophet, who in ancient times would have been a revered character. Jonah would have been seen as the the hero of the story, the one that was supposed to be like. Yet Jonah is just the opposite. He's a follower of God. uh, He hears God speak clearly and directly, yet he doesn't seem to get who God is. He doesn't understand the mission of God, not even a little bit. God calls him to announce judgment against the city of Nineveh, but Jonah instead runs away. And actually part of this is understandable. The Ninevites were bad news. History tells us that they were one of the most brutal people, and actually some of the things they did were against the nation of Israel. Jonah had a right to be angry with them, but God still called him to pronounce this message of judgment. So he runs away, gets on a ship, God sends a storm. Jonah gets thrown into the sea, swallowed by a giant fish. Jonah then prays to God and asks to be saved. And if you read that prayer, you'll see he doesn't even repent. He just says, God, I called out to you and you saved me. That's cool. And God actually does. He saves him in spite of his lack of repentance and in spite of his rebellious attitude. And he's finally obedient. He goes to Nineveh. And once there, he gives his sermon. And in Hebrew, his sermon is a total of five words. It's basically, you're all going to die. That's basically what he says. Forty days and the city will be overturned. He doesn't talk of God. He doesn't tell them what they've done wrong. He doesn't tell them how to change. He doesn't give them any hope at all. Yet in spite of this, people are compelled by his message. The king mourns and commands the people to turn from their wicked ways and ask God for mercy. He orders them all to fast, and this is really interesting, including the cows. He said, I want everybody to fast, including you cows. You've got to fast too. And we're going to just uh, have this repentant attitude. And maybe, maybe God will turn away from overturning us. God sees they put an end to the bad stuff that they're doing, and he changes his mind about doing bad stuff, it's the same word in Hebrew, to them. And that's the end of the story in most children's Bibles. Yet there's one more chapter, and I want us to read it because it ties together what we're talking about so well, and it shows us the mission that God is on and challenges us to ask whether we are on the same mission. I looked this week at eight different children's Bibles. You know how you accumulate this children's Bible and that children's Bible? Uh, Eight different children's Bibles. And in seven of those Bibles, the story ends with God choosing to forgive Nineveh. The other Bible had one sentence on this whole chapter that we're going to read this morning. And so good news today, throughout this whole month, we have been preparing the teaching for the uh, Rise and Ignite young people, and today they are also reading Jonah chapter 4. So we are making them read this bit. They're going to get the whole story in. So let's begin to read Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. The change of plans, God forgiving Nineveh, greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. 
What this uh, literally reads is what God did was bad stuff in Jonah's eyes. So Nineveh was doing bad stuff and God was going to do bad stuff to them, but then he relented. And now Jonah says, God, you relenting is bad stuff. It's the same word. It's the same evil that they were doing. It's the same uh, destruction that God was going to cause as the accusation that Jonah has towards God. So that's how bad it was for Jonah. Verse 2, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. Now, sometimes we think Jonah ran away because he was scared. He was scared of having to give this message. But that's not what Jonah says. He said, I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Isn't this crazy? Jonah accuses God of being too loving. He spits back into God's face his best characteristics, like they're a bad thing. I knew you'd forgive God. How dare you forgive those people? God's heart, though, is so much greater than our heart. His heart of love, his mission to the world, to bring people back to himself, is so much greater than ours could be. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He's hoping for some destruction. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And as soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, uh, soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die again. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Okay, God, if you haven't got it yet, I'm really angry. Three times, Jonah tells God that he would rather die than see Nineveh forgiven. Jonah is not a hero of the Bible. His story is told here to show us how ugly followers of God can be and how different from God sometimes they are. That is why we have to fully embrace God's heart of mission to the world. There is a danger that our mission work could be like Jonah's. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't do it well. He isn't really convinced that it is a good thing. Unfortunately, sometimes that can describe the way the church approaches mission. They don't, they don't really want to do it. don't do it particularly well. Not really convinced that it's the right thing. By the way, this passage begs the question, who are the Ninevites in our lives? The people who we think are ruining our country or society need to be brought down. Does our anger, our attitude to them reflect the anger of Jonah or the compassion of God? Who are we standing against that God might be wanting to pour his mercy onto? God told Jonah that he didn't give up on Nineveh. 
So he can't give up on none of that. God tells us that he hasn't given up on our world. So we can't give up on our world. God now tells us what the lesson of the plant means. Verse 10. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, if we ever look at that verse, if you actually read it in Hebrew, the way that it reads is to say, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the cows. And that is where the book of Jonah ends, with God showing great concern towards cows. It's like, okay, what's the point of the book of Jonah? God cares about cows. He sees these cows that fast, and he is pretty impressed by them, and he cares about them. And it's kind of humorous, and that's partly the point, but the other part of the point is actually, God cares about people. He cares about people in their spiritual darkness. But God also cares about cities. And God also cares about cows. He cares about the world, more of the world than we do. He cares about bringing it all back into a right relationship with himself. God calls us to bring blessing to people, to seek the prosperity of our city. He asks us to bring his kingdom life to all parts of our world. So if your definition of the gospel doesn't include space for these things, then it is incomplete. However, if your definition of the gospel doesn't include bringing people into a loving relationship with Jesus, then your definition of the gospel is impotent. We've got to have both. We've got to see that God cares for all of our world. And in particular, he wants to see people come into that loving relationship with him. And that's something that we're part of. That's the mission of God for our world. Are we like Jonah? Or are we like God in the way that we show love and show compassion? Last week, Fraser told a story about a father who welcomes back a wayward son. Yet before Jesus told the parable of the lost son, Jesus told two other stories. The first was the parable of the lost sheep, and the middle one was, anyone got it? The parable of the lost coin, that's right. In this story, a woman has ten coins, loses one, and then she gets on her hands and knees. And I want you to imagine that for a second. Here's this woman, ten coins, she's, she's lost one, and she gets down on her hands and knees. Old houses, no lighting. She would have had to uh, light a candle and get down and, and scrub the floor, trying to find this thing that was lost. And she searches and searches until she finds it again. And then, and then she throws a massive party. She calls everyone and she says, come over to my house. That which was lost, I have found again. And I hear that story and I think to myself, she threw a party? Really? I remember I once lost something. I had been married for all of eight weeks and would move to England. And my wife had returned to New Zealand for her sister's wedding. And I was working furiously on improving our new home. It was late autumn and I'd spent a few hours in the garden uh, digging up the ground, cutting back trees and rose bushes, making it look really nice. 
Suddenly I looked down at my hand and I noticed that my wedding ring had gone. My fingers had shrunk in the cold and it had just slid right off. And for me, this was a disaster. It was my most precious possession, not just because I was newly married and poor and it was the most valuable thing I owned, but it was also because it's so significant. It represented this relationship, new relationship with my, my new bride. So I searched. I'll tell you what, the woman in that story had nothing on me. I was down on all fours, examining every blade of grass, digging through the overturned dirts and weeds I collected. My fingers got numb and dirty, but I didn't care. At one point, my landlord turned up. He told me, hey, I should have been wearing gloves and that I shouldn't have left the front door unlocked. And I looked at him and said, I've lost my ring, and I think he saw the slightly unhinged look on my face and just said, see you later, and left. (laughs) Precious is lost. I searched for over an hour, but there was no wedding ring. Eventually, as the sun began to get low, I had an idea, a metal detector. I needed a metal detector. So I called one person in the church, no metal detector. I called the second person in the church, no metal detector. I called the sound man from the church, two metal detectors. (laughs) And uh, he he said to me, well, it depends what kind of technology you're into. Do you want the in-coil technology or do you want... I was like, I don't care, I just want the metal detector. So a 20-minute drive to his house took me 12 minutes. I got there and he showed me very quickly how to become a detectorist. I grabbed the metal detector, got back in my car, nine minutes back home again. The sun's beginning to set. I have to find my ring. I'll tell you what, when I set to searching, I found all sorts of interesting things in the garden. I found nails, fence posts, and for some reason quite a few foil sweet wrappers that were picked up by this metal detector, but still no wedding ring. By this time, it was beginning to get dark. Finally, I tipped over the compost bin filled with rosy thorn bushes. I ran the metal detector over the the compost, and there was just a little beep. I pushed my hand through the thorns, and there it was, my wedding wedding ring. I I was overjoyed. I I jumped in the air. I actually did a little fist bump, like, yes! And I said, my precious... Okay, I didn't do that last one. And you know what else I didn't do? I didn't call my neighbours. I didn't call my friends. I didn't say, that which was lost is found again, come and celebrate with me. Because that's a bit much, right? It's just going a little bit too far. Especially in England. My, my ring is precious to me, but it would be going too far to find, uh, throwing a party for finding one ring. Yet God, check this out, God, who is the woman in this story, says that when one person finds him, when one person repents, when one person discovers who he really is, then all of heaven celebrates. Luke 15, verse 9. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. See, 10 coins might not seem much. They were worth about uh, a day's wages each. But each of those coins. So one coin is not worth much. But 10 of them was a headdress that a woman would wear on her wedding day. And she knew losing one of them meant the whole thing was incomplete. And that's how God feels about people in our world. 
And he wants to see every person come to know him. And he wants to see parties in the presence of God. Jesus says, I've seen it. It's a party that God is creating whenever a lost person is found by God. Many think that making heaven a reality on earth means we should all be a little bit more somber, a little bit sober. But what Jesus shows us here is that heaven is party central, not serious city. The desire of heaven is to turn the whole world into a restoration party where broken things are fixed, where light comes into darkness, where lost things are found. We don't need to crawl to God, but embrace the God who crawls to us. He gets on his hands and knees amongst the dirt, and he searches for us, that when one person repents, when one person discovers who he really is, when one person is found by God, all of heaven celebrates. That's the mission of God. God's mission is to redeem what is broken, to restore the world, and ultimately to reconcile people to himself. That is what the coming of Jesus is all about. It is God making his mission come to pass. Now Jesus told this story about the lost coin to the religious leaders. These people who were supposed to represent God, but who had lost sight of who he really was, a little bit like Jonah. As the religious leaders listened, they might have wondered where they were in the story. They weren't like the most notorious of sinners, nor were they like the woman getting on their hands and knees to seek out the lost coin. Jesus' point, though, was that they should be. If a Pharisee were to tell the story, it would probably go something like this. Once there was a woman who lost a coin. It wasn't worth finding, and it stayed in the dust and darkness on the floor for all eternity, which is what it deserved. And I wouldn't say that, and I hope you wouldn't either, But if I had to reflect on my efforts to find lost people, the story might go something like this. Once there was a woman who lost a coin. She had a bit of a glance around the house. She couldn't see it right away. If she were honest, she thought the coin didn't really fit with all the others and was probably happy at being lost anyway. And I see from the story that I can't think that way if I want to represent God. Instead, we need to ask, what does it look like for you and for me to get down, to search on our hands and knees. What does it look like to bring people in as that they were the one missing piece of the puzzle, the one missing piece of God's family? What does it look like to create parties in heaven? Being a Christian is about creating parties in heaven. By showing love like Jesus's, by seeking out the lost we give heaven an excuse for another party. Another person who is found in relationship with God through Jesus. Another part of our world that was broken, made right again. How awesome is that job that we get to join God in doing? So you have a challenge card uh, on your seat or on a seat near you today. Uh, This might be behind you or around you. Have a look. There's one for nearly every seat. And we have you uh, do this. We have you uh, consider uh, what God has saved you from, how he has redeemed, restored, and reconciled you by writing down three things that would be true of you if you did not know God. What What has he changed in you? What has he done in you? And then we want you also to consider the things of this world that are broken. 
What would it look like if they were redeemed? Consider the things of this world that you see that are broken. What would it look like if they were redeemed so we can get on this mission too? Tom Wright writes about this uh, story of finding the lost coin. And his conclusion is this, is a great question. What might today's Christians do that would make people say, why are you doing something like that? And give us the opportunity to tell stories about finding lost things. We can bring some of God's mission to pass, even now in our lives. I'll have the band up behind me. I was once part of a church that really got this. They were in a pretty well-to-do area, but they saw a community a couple of kilometers away that was not so well off. And so they bought up a shop in the community, and they turned it into an op shop. People could buy clothes there, they would come in for a chat, they would have a cup of tea, they would get to know people every year. Uh, We as a church would ask people if they needed some help in their backyard or their house, and we would all go in and we would do work and uh, help people and try and build relationships there. Over many years, that shop became a community hub. Every staff meeting, we would hear from the worker who worked there how they had helped the practical needs and served people, sometimes the people who needed it the most, sometimes the people who were most difficult. We would also hear how this love and service caused people to ask, why are you doing this? You guys don't make any money from this shop, surely. Why do you guys exist? Why do you do this? And they were then able to reach out with love and speak of the reconciliation message of Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if God birthed the same heart in us to do things that made people go, wow, you guys, you guys are doing something that's attractive, something that makes me want to see, to see what you believe. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.